I want you to be seated right now. We're going to look at the scriptures in just a moment. But I am here today. The message that God's laid on my heart is, is a burden. And, and one of the things that's burdened me as a pastor is to see how many uh, Christians today are turning away from what they believe. Uh, I've read about many pastors of mega churches and have written very well-known books. All of a sudden, they, they've left their church, they've left their spouse, they don't believe in God anymore. And, and I'm also seeing that uh, among our fundamental Bible-believing churches. I'm seeing a generation of young people who are turning away uh, from what we've built over the years. And, and I'm really trying to understand why is that happening? And I realize that there's many different reasons. There's no one size fits all. There's no one reason. Uh, but I believe part of it is because we have become the Pharisees. Um, the Pharisees, the word Pharisee means a separatist. And that's a word that I proudly used over the year. And I'm not ashamed of being a separatist. But we have become more than just separatists. And sometimes we have become like the Pharisees. And uh, we've mixed up our priorities. In our circles today, uh, sometimes we believe more in the KJV than we do the inspired word of God. In our circles today, we've made a style of music more important than worship and praise. In our circles today, we have focused on separation from the world rather than separation unto God. Understand, you can separate from the world and not separate to God. But you cannot separate unto God and not separate from the world. And our focus needs not to be on separating from the world. Our focus needs to be on separating onto God. And we have taught people how to tithe, but we have not taught them how to love God and to love others. And I believe there's a lot of young people that are seeing that and are upset by that and say that, you know, I don't want to be a Pharisee. In Matthew chapter 23, you don't need to turn there, but in verse number two, Jesus said this saying the scribes and the Pharisees sit in the Moses seat. Now, sometimes I'm afraid that we have kind of thought that we're the ones that are in charge. Uh, you've heard the phrase, who died and made us king? Well, you know what? Moses didn't die and make us king. Jesus Christ is the king. The Bible says in Acts chapter uh, 3 and verse 22, For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me, him shall you hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. Folks, we're not the king. We serve the king. And sometimes in, in our churches, we think we're the ones that get to tell everybody else what to do. But it's God who is in charge. And we need to not forget that. Now, in verse number three, Jesus said to the disciples, all therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. So Jesus said, do what the Pharisees tell you to do, because much of what they taught was based upon biblical principles. They had just taken it to an extreme of their own preferences. And Jesus said, uh, you, you need to be fundamentalists. But be a fundamentalist without the attitude. In, in Matthew chapter 23, in verse number 23, Jesus said to the disciples, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done, and not to leave the other undone. A lot of people that leave our circles and leave fundamentalism, they just reject all of the standards. They reject all of the teachings and, and swing the pendulum to the other side. And Jesus said, no, don't leave these undone. Just make sure you're doing these as your priority. And, and we need to have the right priorities. We need to stay true to the word of God and the principles of fundamentalism. And, and just don't leave the other undone. 
In Micah chapter six and verse number eight, it says, he has showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. So I wanna challenge you, maintain the standards. I wanna challenge you, stay faithful to the word of God, but do it with love and mercy and justice. Do it with the right attitude. You see, we're so busy judging everyone else, we don't judge ourselves. And the ones we ought to start with is right here to judge ourselves. Where am I at spiritually? Many times I've been a good fundamentalist, but I've not been a good Christian. They're not one and the same. We, we need to realize that we, we ought to be known not for our standards as a church, but we ought to be known for our love and our mercy and grace. I, I don't want people to look at Ohana Baptist Church. Well, that's the church where you wear a suit and tie or, or that's a church where you've got to, you can't do these certain things. I want them to look at Ohana Baptist Church and say, there's a church of people that love God and love people. Amen. We need to have faith. You see, we have come to the point, I believe, in our circles today where we trust in ourselves more than we trust in God. And I want to challenge you, young people, be a fundamentalist without the attitude. So, but I don't think that's the primary reason why many people are leaving our movement today. Some of them were never with us. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19, it says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. And there are those that start out in fundamentalism and they talk to talk and they walk to walk for a while, but they really never truly believed and they really never truly had that heart to be what God wanted to be. And they left because they were never of us. But then I think there's many others that have left fundamentalism and even left Christianity because they believe they've been deceived. I want you to look at Jeremiah chapter 20 at this time. Jeremiah chapter 20. I want you to look at verses 7 through 9. Jeremiah chapter 20 and verses 7 through 9. The Bible says, O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. For since I spake, I cried out. I cried violence and spoil because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing and I could not stay. You see, Jeremiah got to a point that he was just plain discouraged. And he said, God, you deceived me. I thought it was going to be easier than this. You know, sometimes we leave Bible college and you get ready to go out in the ministry and everybody thinks I'm going to build the next great big church. And we go out and thinking that everybody's going to love me and, and, and they're going to ask me to come back and preach in chapel because I'm such a great Christian. And, and we go out with these expectations. And when it doesn't happen right away, we get discouraged and quit. You know, what's amazing to me is how many people, when they've left our movement, they've also left their wife their spouse because they're not satisfied. They're not happy with what they have. And so they leave God behind. You know, Jeremiah, I believe he started out thinking, wow, I'm going to be a prophet of God. Now, Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. Part of that was his personality. He was a very tenderhearted man and he wept for his people. And, and, uh, but part of that was also the persecution. He went through a lot of persecution. He had a lot of reasons to cry. 
He was also known as the, uh, the prophet of loneliness because he was commanded not to marry. How many of you would like to be called to be the prophet of loneliness and not marry in your life? That's what God called Je Jeremiah to do. He was also called the reluctant prophet because he really didn't want to do this, but he did. And he endured opposition. He endured beatings throughout his life. He was thrown in prison, not only by the enemy, but by his own people. It was not easy. And he came to this point in Jeremiah chapter 20 where he said, God, you deceived me. Have you ever been deceived? How many have ever been deceived by a car salesman? He said, this is a great car and it turned out to be a lemon. You ever had that happen? I have. Or how many have ever been deceived by an investment opportunity? Somebody came and said, listen, if you'll just put your money here, you'll make a lot of money and, you, and it doesn't work out that way. How many of you were deceived by a West Coast Baptist College recruiter? Uh, no, don't answer that. <laughs> but uh, you ever had somebody deceive you? When I joined the military, my recruiter deceived me. He had this nice picture painted of what it'd be like to be in the Air Force, and, and it turned out not to be everything he told me it was going to be. Uh, there were some lies in there. You know what? A lot of people may deceive you, but God never will. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse number seven, he says, Oh Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. But God does not deceive us. In Romans chapter three and verse four says, God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. As is written, thou mightest be justified, and I say his sayings might overcome when thou art judged. We know that God did not lie. We know that God did not deceive Jeremiah. And, and folks, we need to be careful that we're not deceived by a lie. Hold your place in Jeremiah 20. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter four. 2 Corinthians chapter four. I want you to look at verses two through four, second Corinthians chapter four and verses two through four. It says, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, not handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience, sight of God. You know, that verse challenges me is this, is I wonder how many people that I've messed up. How many people have I deceived because I, I put my focus on the wrong things instead of the focus on the things of God. And then it goes on in verse number three, and it says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You see, we need to be careful that we're not deceived by a lie, that, that the gospel is not hidden. Now, my wife hides things from me. I don't know about you married folks here, Brother Getch, I don't know if this happened to you. My wife hides things from me all the time. She hides my clothes on the hangers. She hides my socks in the drawer. She, she hides things in places, I guess, where they're supposed to be, but that's not where I put them. And, and, I, and I'll, I'll go to her and say, honey, where is this? And, and whenever I ask her, that, ask her that question, honey, where, where is such and such? She gives me one of those looks, like uh, you fellows that are married will know this look. One of those looks like, why did I marry this idiot? I remember one time I went to her and says, I, where, where is such and such? I can't find this. And she, she looks at me with one of those looks and then she said, it's right there in front of you. And sometimes things can be hidden right in plain sight. Things that we don't see. Uh, salvation, for example. In Titus chapter 1 and verse number 2, the Bible says, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised to us before the world began. In John chapter 8 and verse 32, it says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. 
And sometimes the gospel could be hidden right in plain sight. There may be people right here in this room that you think you're saved. You, you maybe went through some uh, profession when you were younger, but really didn't have a, a, a relationship with Christ. And maybe you prayed a prayer or whatever else it might have been. Uh, but you've been deceived into thinking you're saved and you're not. In Matthew chapter 7, they're going to stand before the Lord and they're going to say, Lord, did we not do these, these miracles in your name and did these wonderful things? Lord, I went to Bible college. But you believed a lie and you were not saved. And Jesus will say, depart from me, you never knew me. And I believe there are folks that are deceived even in the gospel, even in Bible college. But I think the thing is, is you get out of Bible college and you get into the ministry. And what you find out is you didn't know it was going to be so hard. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. God didn't lie. God did not deceive. He's told us very clearly, if you are going to live for me, it's not going to be easy. You're going to suffer persecution. And you and I need to understand that God did not promise to take away our problems. In fact, he told us the opposite. Becoming a Christian created more problems in my life. Becoming a Christian, I, I face more trials than I would if I were not a Christian. God did not promise us he would take away our problems. What he did promise us is he would be with us through our problems. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verses 5 and 6, it says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we might boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. You see, God promised I will be there in every situation. It won't be easy. And Jeremiah, it's not going to be easy to be my prophet. You're going to be beaten. You're going to be cast into prison. You're going to be thrown into a pit. But, but I will be there with you. And that's God's promise. God did not promise to take away temptation, but he did promise to make the way escape. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, it says, There hath no temptation taken you, but this is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way escape that you may be able to bear it. Listen, young people, let me make something clear. It is not going to get easier to deal with temptation when you get married or when you get in the ministry. Sometimes we think, well, when I get married, I won't struggle with pornography or something. When I get in the ministry, I'll have devotions every day. If you're not having devotions every day now, it doesn't get easier when you get out there. If you're not praying every day now, it doesn't get easier when you get out there. If you're struggling with something like pornography now, it's not going to get easier just because you get married or go in the ministry. You need to realize that God wants to give you the victory and he's promised us a way to escape. We will face temptation. We will face the trials in life. And what do we do when those trials come? You see, temptation has a purpose. In James chapter one, it tells us that the, the trying of our faith is there to, to give us patience and to help us to grow in the Lord. And it has a purpose. I remember a number of years ago, uh, cost of buildings at Hawaii, very, very expensive. Where we met before the buildings were in now, we were paying $16,000 a month in rent. And that's considered cheap. We were able to buy the buildings we're in now, uh, about three and a half to four million dollars worth of buildings for $665,000, really a miracle of God. But we don't own the land. We lease the land for $19,000 a month. Now we have a building next door that we rent out and they pay us $12,000 a month. And they also, we rent out parking spaces during the week for another $2,000 a month. 
But before we got in this building, we were in our old building. We, have, we were down to six months left in that building. They'd already told us, you have to leave. We had six months left. We had spent the last two years or more looking for property. I mean, I had gone to every place I possibly could think of. I had looked at everything. I, I, I tried everything I could possibly do. We were, in fact, we had one building. We were within 24 hours of closing on that building and everything fell through. And, and I was mad at God. And I said, God, you called me to Hawaii. I've been here serving you faithfully. We've got people that are saved. We got a church here and we have six months and we don't have any place to go. God, what are you doing? And I was angry at God. Because he wasn't providing what I thought he should provide. God had to deal with me in a very difficult and very, very hard way. And I learned lessons through that of faith. And God provided. You know, Job went through some great trials. And the interesting thing about Job is he asked a lot of questions and God answered none of them. And if God is not going to answer Job's questions, who was a, a great man of God, why do I think he has to answer my questions? I just need to trust the Lord. And when you get out in the ministry and things don't go the way you expect them to, realize that, that God has a plan and God has a purpose that he's trying to accomplish in your life. Realize that God is stronger than your problems. In Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 7, Jeremiah said, I will prepare destroyers against thee, every one with his weapons, and they shall cut down thy choice. I'm sorry, remembering chapter 22. Let me flip back here. Chapter 20, verse 7. O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. But then he says, thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed, and I am a derision daily, every one that mocketh me. When you face the problems of life, when you face the trials, whether here in college or out in the ministry, realize that your God is stronger than your problems. In Zechariah chapter four, verse six, it says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses three and four, the Bible says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And we need to realize that our weapons need to be the weapons of God, the power of God. I, I like to use object lesson illustrations, and you may have noticed up here the vacuum cleaner. It, it wasn't left here by the blue crew by accident. It was left here for a reason. And uh, this vacuum cleaner, so you can vacuum the carpet, right, brother? Getcha. And so uh, I'm going to vacuum the carpet. How do you think I'm doing? Not getting very clean, is it? I can stand up here all day and run this thing back and forth across the carpet, and nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to get better. Why? It's not plugged in. Oh, well, we can fix that real quick. So let me go ahead and fix that. We're going to go ahead and uh, get this vacuum cleaner plugged in. I believe there's a plug right here. Excuse me just a minute. All right, now we're set to go. Let's get this thing vacuumed. How are we doing? Not working, is it? Listen to me carefully. This is working no better than when it was not plugged in. And some of the Christians I know are doing no better than the unsaved people. It's plugged in. That's salvation. You got to plug into the power of God. But you're still trying to do it in the flesh. It doesn't work. You've got to turn on the power. You've got to get it going. I'm not sure where the switch is for this thing. Nobody show. There it is. Now, 
I can clean. Because now I'm doing it in the power of God. And young people, the reason people quit is because they get tired of doing it in their own strength. And I look back at my ministry, how many times was I doing God's work in my own power? And it's not the power of the flesh. It's the power of God's spirit working in your life. And let's put God's spirit to power to work in our lives. Jeremiah said, Lord, I'm, I'm tired. I, I'm tired. In Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 7 and 8, he says, O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I am, and hast prevailed. I am a derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. For since I spake, I cried out. I cried violence to spoil, because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me, a derision daily. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, the Bible says, And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You know what the hard thing is about the ministry? you got to do it day in and day out and day in and day out. You can have a great day in the Lord tomorrow and you got to get up tomorrow and do all those things again. You can't just rest in your great days. You can't just rest in, in, in what you did yesterday. Every day you've got to get up. Every day you've got to uh, take care of something new in your life. And, and you, you can do everything right today, but you have to get up tomorrow and do it all over again. Some of the greatest days, I don't know if this is true of you guys, but some of the greatest days we've had at church, Monday was one of the worst days we had. Because that's the ministry. Take up your cross daily and follow me. You know, you get to a point where you get tired of everyone else getting everything. Go over to Psalms chapter 73. Psalm chapter 73. You read the Psalms and over and over again, Psalms said, God, why do the wicked prosper? Why do they have all the money? Why do they have all the good things? Why, why have they got a great life? And by the way, David was wealthy and he still was complaining. He says, why do they have such, everything's great? And let me tell you something else. God never answered David either. We've got this attitude that God's got to answer me. God does not have to answer me. I have to answer to God. God did not answer Job. God did not answer Psalms except to say, I'm still God and I'm still good. Trust in me. But in Psalms chapter 73 and verse number 12, it says, behold, there, there, these are uh, the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I've cleansed, cleansed my heart in vain. I wash my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and, and chastened every morning. He, he says, listen, I, I look out there and, and the unsaved, they got all the money, they got all the land, they got all the property, they got everything. It, sometimes it seems like I've got nothing. Have you ever, you ever had that attitude? God, why can't I have? You know, sometimes I want to tell God, God, you own the cattle on the thousand hills. Could you not sell one of them and give me money to buy a new car? Could you not sell one of those cattle so, so you can put it on my school bill? So often what happens is we don't get what we want, and so we quit. Well, I never got married, so I'm going to quit on God. I never got the job, so I'm going to quit on God. God is not your ATM. Look at verse number 17. Until I went to the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. The sanctuary is a place of worship. Do you know what worship is? I think there's a lot of false worship today. And I want to understand truly what is worship and praise. And so I looked up the word worship and the word worship in the Greek language, it means to bow. 
And I thought, when do we bow as independent Baptists? I think you go to most Baptist church services and they never once get on their knees before the Lord. When I read that, we implemented our church, we start our service off with a worship prayer where the person praying is only supposed to worship God, no prayer requests, nobody asking for sick or anything like that. And, and we challenge our people to bow on their knee during that time because we've, we've lost that. We, we don't do that anymore. And the word bow literally means to, the word worship literally means to bow. And if you're not, if you never bow, you're not worshiping. But then I studied out a little further and I found out the root word comes from the Hebrew word, which means dog. And when I read that, I thought, how do you get worship from dog? How do you go from one to the other? And I was meditating upon this, trying to think about it, and I just couldn't figure it out. And a little, little further study, it said it literally means to lick the hand. And one night I was at our church. We had a lady in our church who was um, a firefighter, retired firefighter, and she'd been in the army. And she came to me and says, I, Pastor, I like to paint. So can I come down to the church and paint? And I said, well, sure. I'd be glad to have you do that. And she said, well, I'm a night owl, so I like to do it late at night. And I said, well, Christine, I'm not so sure about that. We're, we're in an industrial business area, not an unsafe area, but not the safest area of town. I'm not sure if I want a lady down here by herself. And she says, Pastor, I'm a retired firefighter. I was in the army. I can take care of myself. But besides that, I'll have with me Roxy. And Roxy was her Rottweiler dog. A very big and mean looking dog. But very friendly if you knew her. And so one night I came down to the church late at night and I saw there's some lights on the garage. So I, I went out to the garage to see what was going on. And, and when I got out there, uh, I, I looked through the window into the garage and, and, and there was Christine painting. And, and there was Roxy straight across the door from me. And she was just uh, there with Christine and, and uh, just laying there. And I opened the door. And when I opened the door, she immediately got up on all fours and her hair went up in the back of her neck. And she started growling and she was ready to protect her master. But then she saw it was me. And Roxy and I were friends. And she changed her attitude and she came over. She started wagging her tail. Her tongue was hanging out. And she came over and she started licking my hand. And she's looking at me like, you're the best thing that's happened in my day. <laughs> and I thought, that's worship. When God is the best thing that happened in your life. And you tell him that. You know what the problem is? A lot of us are cat Christians rather than dog Christians. Dogs know who the master is. And dogs will love you. When, I, when, I, when we had our dog and I'd come home, my dog would be jumping up and down and wagging his tail. And he was looking at me just out, like, where have you been all day? I've been waiting for you. When we had a cat, I'd walk in. The cat says, where you been? <laughs> a whole different attitude. Don't be a cat Christian, be a dog Christian. Worship your God. Worship your God. Jeremiah said, I'm tired of being the only one. First Kings chapter 19, verse 10, it says, he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down their altars and slain thy prophets with a sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. You can sometimes feel like you're the only one, but you're not. He had 7,000 that hadn't bowed the knee. But folks, if he had been the only one, God is still God and God is still good. And we need to remember that. Jeremiah, what did you expect? 
Jesus said in John chapter 15, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. They killed him. So what are they going to do to you? What do you expect? Jeremiah chapter 12 and verse 5 says, If thou hast run with the footmen and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses? And if in the land of peace, where thou trusted, they wearied thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? What he's saying, listen, if, if you have trouble fighting foot soldiers, what are you going to do when the tanks show up? And young people, if you're struggling right now in college, and I know it's not easy, and I know it's hard, and I know you go through the problems and frustrations, but if you're struggling now, then when you have the mystery, it's going to be a whole lot worse. You're going to be fighting some bigger battles. And that's one of the reasons you're here, because the battles you fight here in college, the, the financial battles and the relationship battles and working things out with roommates that you don't get along with, all of that is preparation for the future. You know, when I was a teacher, we used to give quizzes to prepare them for the tests. And we used to give tests to prepare them for the midterms. We gave midterms to prepare them for the finals. And you're right now, you're in the quiz phase. And it's going to get harder. But if you don't pass the quizzes, you're not going to pass the tests. And if they, if they hated Jesus, they're not going to like us. Now, we don't have to be unlikable but we just know that they're not going to like what we stand for. I'm thankful that Jeremiah did not stop with his whining. When he got all done, he said, Lord, I've been deceived. I don't know why this is happening. This isn't what I thought I was signing up for. But then look down there at verse number nine, Jeremiah chapter 20. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was worried for bearing and I could not stay. I couldn't stop. Go over to Job chapter 32. Job chapter 32. And look at verses 18 through 21. Job chapter 32, verse number 18. For I am full of the matter. The spirit within me constraineth me. Behold, my belly is as a wine which hath no vent. It is ready to burst like new bottles. I will speak that I may be refreshed. I will open my lips and answer. Let me not, I pray you, accept any man's person, neither let me give any flattering titles unto man. Job said, I could not stop talking about you, God. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll look at this in one of the verses and close. 1 Timothy chapter 3. I, I don't want to be discouraging. I love being in the ministry. I love what God has done. And God has been so good to us over the years. But it's not easy. And if you think it's going to get easier when you leave here, you're deceiving yourself. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, we read verse 12 earlier. Let's look there again. 1 Timothy, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 12 says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them. 
it's going to get hard. Back when I went to college, it was tough, but it's tougher today. What you have to pay is nowhere near what I had to pay. Back when I went to college, pornography was around, but you had to go looking for it. Today, it comes looking for you. Back when I went to college, there was problems and challenges. And I thought, well, when I get out of college, it's going to get easier. But it doesn't. And that's why you need to get stronger in the Lord. And he said, listen, you're going to suffer persecution. But be assured of who your God is. Because God is still God and God is still good. Go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And look at verses 66 through 69. John chapter 6, verses 66 through 69. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you also go away? Then said Simon Peter, answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's going to get tough. And it's going to be easy to say, I quit. I didn't know it was going to be so hard. I didn't know it was going to be so difficult. But when it gets tough, remember, where else is there to go? It's not always been easy to serve the Lord. But God has always been God and God has always been good. And my prayer is that you will stay faithful to what you're being taught here at this college. We need, in Acts chapter 2, it talks about the young men have the, the vision where the old men have the dreams. You're the next generation. And I'm thankful for our young men in our church to, that share their vision and help us to move forward into the future and to do better than we've done in the past and to challenge in the areas where we've become Pharisees in. But at the same time, these men have paved the way for you. And you need to do what they tell you to do. But don't leave the other things undone. 